Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 232 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Healing Channel, an interview with Bianca Crino. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Matt, Bianca Crino is one of the influencers that we were trying to get on our podcast for some time. And for various reasons, we couldn't jive our schedules until today. And we really enjoyed this episode because we learned about Bianca's healing journey from the standpoint of Bianca becoming a channel. After she started her healing journey, she actually started an Instagram page where she was asking for advice about how to heal on her Lyme disease journey. And after she followed the advice, she would then go back and give advice to other people. And then she'd get more advice. And, and it went back and forth and back and forth. And she ultimately learned how she would heal by becoming a healing channel for other people. Rich, I always look at our podcast guests to see how they can help other people in the community. And Bianca was such an inspiration. She literally had to reteach herself how to walk. She went through excruciating physical therapy and kept fighting and fighting and fighting and is now coaching other people through chronic Lyme disease. So Matt, the end of this healing channel journey, at least for the podcast is Bianca has become a health coach because she's realized that she is a channel for healing and the best way for her to serve the community is by becoming a healing coach. And now she's developing healing courses because she has maxed out the number of people that she can heal as a one-on-one -on -one coach. And what she's gonna try to do is scale that through her courses. So Matt, without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce the healing channel, Bianca Crino to the Tick Bootcamp community. Hey, Bianca Crino, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. I love everything that you guys are doing and so much gratitude to be a part of this. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And we, ha we have uh, so much gratitude for you being willing to share your story and your journey with our, our uh, listeners. And uh, we've been following you and uh, big fans of your uh, platform for a long, long time. So it's nice that we've finally been able to cross paths and uh, share your journey. So Bianca, talk to us first about where you are now. Where are you living right now? I'm actually living in Europe at the moment, which is so beautiful because they actually love and talk about Lyme and everyone knows Lyme here. And there's a lot of beautiful like herbal treatments here and rife centers. And it's a very different lifestyle from where I came from. So it leaves a lot of opportunities for me to, you know, be able to speak about Lyme and not feel like no one understands. So it's really beautiful here in Europe. Very grateful. Yeah. But your time in Europe is, has been short, right? You just recently arrived uh, to your new European uh, nirvana? Yes, that's right. I've only been here for five weeks. However, I did visit here, uh, how long ago now? A couple of years ago for some bioresidents and rife treatments and things like that. So I have been here before I walked the path. So I'm very grateful to be back. So let's talk about where you grew up. Where are where you from and where did you live up until five weeks ago? So I'm from Sydney, Australia. I grew up in St. George area. Um, yeah, up until five weeks ago, I was living in Sydney City and I was just feeling like I wanted a different life. So I was really lucky enough to get an exemption and be able to move to Europe. So it's all new. But yeah, I'm originally from Sydney, Australia. So talk to us about what it was like to grow up in Sydney, Australia. What was the educational system like? What was the cultural system like? What was your family environment like? Uh, everything for me was quite normal, I'd say. I grew up in a middle-class family, um, very lucky to go to Catholic schools and have a good education. And yeah, 
there's uh, it was lovely um there's nothing I I would change about how I did grow up I did get to look back at a lot of my childhood and realize how many repressed memories and things like that over this journey which allowed me to witness those parts of myself as well and how I would do things differently however it was yeah just a pretty average experience nothing um, outrageous. I was a dancer from three years old, so always doing ballet and able to show myself through movement and energy. And yeah. So, um, so how long did you pursue your your passion for dancing? And um, and talk to us about what your educational experience was like as well. Sure. Um, so, in terms of like, well, yes, well, first, talk about dancing. What what role did dancing play in your life, and did that sort of set any goals for you? Any any career paths open up for you? Uh, what when you were dancing, and um, and then talk to us about what, what other kinds of um, dreams and goals you had for yourself educationally. Sure. So I was yeah dancing from three years old. I started because my sister was actually dancing herself, and I just kind of fell into it, loved it so much, but ended up stopping around 17. And that was just purely because I'd finished, like the, they, they call it the Royal Academy of Dance. I'd finished that kind of program. I'd done my entire, all of my ballet kind of, um, all of the steps in the ballet area. And I was just ready to kind of, I felt like grow up you'd say. So I decided to then, so through education, I finished up uh, year 12, was healthy, still dancing at that stage. And then I ended up getting myself into flight attending, which I loved. And then I ended up going back to, you know, uh, sorry, TAFE at this time and studying a real estate course and ended up going into property management, real estate through there. And then that kind of led me on the path of uh, entrepreneurship. So I kind of like was always tossing between things. I never really knew my purpose. I was kind of like, I guess I didn't really have a standard plan my whole life. It was just kind of whatever was coming into contact, I was kind of just flowing into these areas. So I didn't really have like a goal from when I was younger, I was going to do this. It was definitely, I, I wanted to be a flight attendant, but then when I became a flight attendant, I always wanted more in my life, I was always quite empathetic and always wanted more. I was always helping people and I felt like that was always in my core. Um, so I was always searching for more. So I, I then became a real estate agent. Then I, I, I went into entrepreneurship where I opened my own laundry store because I was very into like designing and drawing. And so I opened a laundry store online, which was doing really well when unfortunately I then came down with all of the symptoms of Lyme. So how old were you when you first began to develop the symptoms that you now know to be Lyme disease symptoms? I, I, it's very hard for me to put a finger on it entirely. However, through the last two years of school, I started to develop headaches and neck pain. This is something that my family all kind of like, it, it's in the family, like people get headaches quite often. So it was kind of looked past and then I, I then kind of stopped having them. And then at 21 was when everything started to fall apart. I would sleep for like 15 hours straight and just continue to get fatigue and brain fog. But during this time, I didn't actually know that I was going through it. And I don't know if you guys can resonate, but I was really disassociated. So I didn't actually know that I was 
beginning to get these symptoms, they just continued to come up worse and worse and worse until I decided that I was getting a little bit too tired that maybe I should potentially seek some advice, which was different for me. I'd never really gone to doc like doctors too much in my life. So I didn't know really where to start with it. So Bianca, when you first started to exhibit the symptoms, as you're looking back, you didn't seek out medical treatment until you finally crashed when you're around 21. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 21 was when everything, and that was when I opened my business too. So I assume it was a, a mixture of stress and yeah, all of that kind of thing that was just added up pressure and yeah, the symptoms then became, and it was just that fatigue and that brain fog that really, really started to strip away where I was then becoming able to get up every morning. And so it, it just became to a point where I was like, okay, I think I need to do something about this. And I definitely wasn't aware of my intuition at that time either. Okay, so let's pause there for a second because I want to explore some of this with you in a little more detail. So you said that you were a dancer between the ages of three and 17 and you were dancing at the academy level. While you were going through the process, were you becoming more and more in touch and in tune with your body? And were you taking steps to make sure that your body was performing at a high level so that you could perform at a high level as a dancer? Absolutely not. Unfortunately, I think I didn't really know. I, I honestly don't think I knew who I was during that time. And I definitely know that now looking back that I don't know if I had a goal in mind or if I really had a true purpose. There wasn't, there was never that drilled into me as a child. It was like, you could just be whoever you want to be. That's the kind of family that I grew up in. So I didn't, you know, have a passion that I was, you know, going to become this lawyer or this doctor or like, I didn't really have that. It was just very, I was always searching where I could help people or what I could do so yeah that core like passion wasn't really wasn't really there yet and I, I didn't grow up on like a really healthy diet or it was just the standard as you would you guys would probably call it the standard American diet we call it like the standard Australian diet it was just you know whatever I wanted to eat and there wasn't really an understanding of what what nutrition that I could get from certain foods or anything like that I just was very, I guess, blase about everything. So it really so, worked. But Bianca, were you learning anything about your body when you were dancing? Meaning you were going through a process of learning how to perform and use your body as a tool when performing. Were there any lessons that you were learning during that stage of your life and during that stage of your development that allowed you to become in tune with body signals, meaning when you were pushing yourself too far or when you were stretching too much or where you weren't prepared enough or were you learning any of those types of lessons during that window of your, of your childhood journey? Honestly, when I look back at it, potentially I knew about, you know, rest and recovery and I knew I needed to take time off here and there to rest and recovery. And that's why actually when I first got sick, it was like, well, I just need the rest. Like I've been working really hard and, and I started to, you know, speak from like the eager point of view and just like, just you can just keep going, keep going, keep going until I, I, I couldn't. So I guess, yeah, I did learn that rest and recovery, but it also kind of made me feel like it was okay for me to be resting during this time. But when it, became like 15 hour days like, and, and over and over and over I was like okay this is there's something going on here okay so the contrast between the way you were able to use your body 
and rest during that three to 17 year old window was very different when you started to develop the symptoms that you now know to be your Lyme's disease. I mean, the fatigue was very different and your ability to recover was very different. So there was a contrast between those two, correct? Of course, of course, yeah. And there was just no recovery by the end. Okay. So now let's, let's, let's talk about what you knew about ticks and tick diseases during that window of your life. Did, did you ever learn either in a health course or in a science course about ticks or any types of uh, vectors and, um, and how to protect yourself from getting sick from uh, ticks and tick diseases? Absolutely not. Unlike America, Australia does not speak about it at all. Um, it is completely denied that you can catch it in Australia. You would never be diagnosed in Australia. We do have a very, very small amount of doctors who would would look at it now and are more open to it. However, it is completely denied that it exists in Australia. So if you had traveled overseas, there's a potential that you could tell your doctor that this happened. But in terms of knowing about ticks or anything to do with ticks, it's just something that we don't speak about in Australia at all. So Bianca, let's talk about this window of time when you were a flight attendant. Mm -hmm. Did, um, as part of your training to become a flight attendant, did you learn anything about the, the, the immune disrupting experience and how flying on a regular basis could interrupt or disrupt your immune system and your, and your, uh, and your immune function? Unfortunately not. I, I know it now to be true. And uh, that's actually where I heard the first word fatigue because we actually could take fatigue days as a flight attendant. So I knew about the rest area from flying, but I didn't actually know what it was doing to my body, that altitude or anything like that. Now, when I reflect on it, I was like, oh, that was a heavy, you know, year and a half, hard work and long hours. So, yeah. Now, how long after you decided to stop working in the airline industry did you begin your entrepreneurial experience and then have the onset of your Lyme symptoms? So I went from being the flat, uh, being a flight attendant straight into a real estate job. So it became a, uh, I was working alongside a property manager and then he left about a year later and I then took over his role and I was actually looking after 200 properties at this at this stage so yeah maybe even he left about six months I should say after so I took over this huge role for my age and it was a lot um, I was looking after 200 properties like I said and it was it was a lot for that age I was really really doing well in that industry but then I found myself really wanting to break free again and that's where the entrepreneurship kind of came in. And it was kind of the early days of Instagram. And there was a lot of opportunities. I did very well, very quickly, but it was a lot of stress on the body. So now you, a little bit earlier, you talked about your symptoms developing, your fatigue developing, and then you were disassociating from these symptoms. Talk to us about the disassociation and how that impacted um, your ability to get help for your symptoms? 
Sure. So yes, I started to firstly develop the fatigue and I was just sleeping for long periods of time and found myself taking time off work and it just continued. But because I didn't have a standard job to go to, I was really taking time off from myself. So there wasn't that structure of having someone to go to, to be like, okay, I can't come into work today. It was like, I had to just do it with myself so I started to you know I was running out of stock and slowly things just started to happen and I was like what is going on I didn't know what was going on and I was just continuing to feel like I didn't really know who I was and the disassociation is something that's so hard to put a finger on it but you don't know who you are or what you're feeling during that time. And so I actually thought that it was just a severe depression or I was just lost, but I just, I was so tired that I just couldn't understand or articulate what was going on to me. So even if I was to see a doctor, I I couldn't express what I was really going through. It was really a time where I just felt like I was just, underwater I like to say like I just could barely I didn't know what was going on you know so so Bianca some of our past guests have described this association as essentially coming out of their body and watching someone else live their lives it was almost like watching a movie of their life did you have that same type of experience where you felt like you were watching somebody else live their life and therefore you couldn't control what they were doing? It was almost like the separation between their mind and their body and their mind was trying to protect themselves from all of the pain and all of the symptoms that were developing or was there some other experience that you had with your disassociation? Yeah, I definitely resonate with that feeling of, of looking at myself from a different point of view, but I feel like I was deeper than that. Like, I really didn't know what was going on. I I really didn't understand it. And I didn't have anyone that was very close to me at that time. I just started to step back from things and just sleep, honestly. And I I just feel like I was just so tired that I just continued to sleep. So I, I didn't get a chance to really feel into that. And when I look back at it all, it's almost like a blur. That's probably the best way to explain it. It was just a blur. I can't really articulate it because I felt like I didn't know where I was. So let's talk about that a little bit more detail. So you're saying that it was a blur. So you were really not experiencing life, right? It was almost like your mind was protecting you from this painful experience and you were just not experiencing. And that's why you were defining it as disassociation. You were just not experiencing life anymore. That's right. Yeah. And, and that's right. That's where it comes to the out-of-body experience. And I, I, I feel like that's kind of what was going on. I just wasn't in my body. I didn't, it wasn't me anymore. But I also didn't realize because of the fog, because of the fatigue that this was happening. It just continued to happen until I was like, okay, I think it's time to see someone. So who did you go to see and what did you learn when you went to see the first uh, healthcare professional? So I just went to any GP. Um, I didn't have a particular one at that time. I wasn't something that I would do often, go and go to the doctors. So I just went to any regular GP. They took all of my bloods. And the first thing I got was, you're fine. Nothing's wrong with you. You're fine. And then uh, I think it was a couple of days later, I was like, I just feel like maybe that doctor didn't really care. There was something I was feeling funny about. I was like, I'm going to go again. I'll mention the blood test. And then that doctor was like, oh, I can see that your white blood cells are out of balance, but everything else is fine and you look fine to me. 
Um, I don't think there's anything really wrong with you. Maybe you should see a psychologist. And this is where I was, you know, feeling like, okay, maybe I'm depressed. Um, and that continued for a little bit of time. I saw a psychologist during that time. And then I saw another doctor again. I was like, there's just, I know in my body, there's something else going on. And I started to really like, you know, wake up because I, I did continue to deteriorate during that time. And I was like, there is something else going on. This is not a mental issue. Like I'm starting to get aches and pains and, you know, I'm knowing that there's more going on. And I, I continued, I think I saw like five or six doctors where I was diagnosed with mast cell, uh, sorry, multiple sclerosis, diagnosed with fibromyalgia, diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. But all of them just didn't feel like every time I'd look into all of those things, it was just the, the symptoms were similar, but there was like no root cause. And that did keep coming into play. And then I was lucky enough that I have a friend who actually suffers from Lyme. And they said to me, look, I think that you should actually go to get a test for Lyme and just see. And I was like, what is Lyme? I've never seen a tick in my life. I have no idea. And so I was like, look, I have nothing to lose at this point. I'm just going to go for it and see what happens. So I ended up then um, investigating where the best place was to go to. And they recommended BCA labs in Germany. And unfortunately, they don't exist anymore, but they were great. They actually look at all these different bands that you can get. So they look at the Western blot, the LA spot, the CD57 and then the IgG and they put the bands all together and then they come up with a conclusion. And the conclusion was that I did have, in fact, have Borrelia. And I was like, how did I get this? Because I have not seen a tick in my life. I didn't even know what one was. I still, when I, I'm speaking to people about Lyme and things, I still have not seen a tick. So it's all a mystery at this point. <laughs> So Bianca, do you think it's possible though that you were bit by ticks throughout your life and just didn't know because ticks are very stealthy. They, you know, you don't feel when they bite you, they have anti-itch properties and things like that. So do you think it's possible you were bit probably more than once and just didn't even know it? Potentially, yes. I did grow up with dogs. Um, it's something I did reflect on for a little while. And obviously we know that it can be congenital. There's evidence of it being sexual. There's, there's so many different areas that it could have been but I like to now just be like okay I don't know if I'll ever know the true answer but there's definitely a potential that there was a tick I was always in the backyard when I was younger um, I did travel to Europe when I was seven and then we always traveled when I was younger as well so th there was that you know overseas interaction that I had throughout my life as well so it's, it's hard for me to say, but there, there is a potential that there was a tick involved. However, I, I've still not seen one today. So. so let's talk a little bit more about your diagnosis, because you mentioned that you were just so sick and you didn't really know who you were or what you were feeling. But thankfully, somebody had said, hey, you should check out Lyme disease. Do you think if it weren't for that, that your journey would have been delayed even more than it was? I honestly don't think I would have found out if I, it wasn't for this beautiful person that I'm friends with still to this day because no one in Australia is aware of it. And that's why I do what I do now because I see it over and over again, like just the misdiagnoses of all of the things that I did, I was diagnosed with. And 
yeah, I don't think I would have really ever known anyone. I mean, now people are starting to wake up in Australia, but they've all been misdiagnosed first. So it's through word of mouth that people are being diagnosed. Unfortunately, it's not through the medical system. And the reason I'm asking this is because it stresses the importance of people in our shoes to share our stories. So other people who aren't diagnosed can get clues from people like us to get a proper diagnosis and finally get some relief from their symptoms. Exactly. That's why it's so beautiful what you guys are doing. And that's why I do what I do. There's been many things that I've shared on my Instagram and things like that, that have actually changed people's lives. I've I've had messages from people like my husband had MS and I, I read your story. We had the blood test and now he's actually being cured. He's actually going into remission. So thank you. So it's really important that we do use our voices through this experience. And I think that was really the purpose and the journey that I was supposed to go on to be here doing this as well. And I think, I think it's beautiful that we all continue to do that because that's where we can all kind of wake up. So thank you for what you guys do as well. It's really beautiful. Well, I have to tell you, you inspired us, Bianca, because when we first formed Tick Bootcamp, you were one of the first accounts we found and you were such an inspiration for the formation of Tick Bootcamp. So thank you. Oh, beautiful. That's so lovely. And I do want to follow up now. So about how old were you when you got this diagnosis? So it's really hard for me to put the finger on it, but it was around the end of 2017, 2016, around then. And then, yeah, it was around then. I I don't know the exact date, time. It's like all a bit wishy-washy in my memory after six years, but it was around then. It's early 20s. Yeah. So now when you finally got diagnosed, did you realize what a journey you were in for? Or did the doctor make it seem like it was going to be no big deal and you'd be treated and you'd be on with your life? So I had this blood test, but I didn't actually have a doctor. So it was really interesting. I then went back to this friend and I was like, okay, I'm positive. What do I do? And this is a part of my story that I feel really blessed for. And I want to share it here because I think it's really important. Um, I was really lucky that they said to me, you should go to get a hypothermia first. Do not do oral antibiotics first. Go straight for IV antibiotics. So intravenous was the first treatment that I ever had. So I quickly got myself together and got myself to Malaysia. A lot of Aussies and Americans were going there at this time to get hypothermia treatment. So that was done in a very quick period. I'm talking like a couple of months later, I was like packed and ready to go. And I was also told from a friend, that friend, another friend had gone and he was completely in remission and he's still in remission today. So it goes to show that we're all very different in this experience as well. But I was told that they were in remission from this experience, you should do this first. And I was like, okay, I'm going, I just wanna be healthy. You know, you're so new to this. You go for this hyperthermia treatment. It's pretty scary, right? I mean, walk us through the process and what it was like. It was something out of a movie. (laughs) I don't even know how to explain it, but I walked into, I, I got on the plane. It all happened really quickly. I was still in this like disassociated, very sick state. Um, my friend was with me that had been, and I went there and I was just, yeah, still in this disassociated state. I kind of shared with my family what was going on. No one really kind of understood. And I just went there. And and when I arrived, I walked into this clinic in the middle of nowhere. And 
it would absolutely shock you. Like it still gives me goosebumps and like makes me so upset. When I walked into this room, it was full of Australians, Americans and Europeans on wheelchairs looking like, you know, healthy, like not like you would imagine a sick person, all there fighting for their lives. And I was like, what is this world? Like, how is this happening? How are we living in a world where we have to go to an Asian country or not our home country to get our health back? And so it was really shocking. And I think I was scared, but I was still in this disassociated state. But I was also in shock. Like I couldn't believe how many people were there. And it was over a Christmas and New Year's period as well. And everyone was just there and fighting. And I learned a lot of things from all of these beautiful people. And that's actually where I was inspired to make my first Instagram as well. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a very full-on experience. I was then I met the doctor when I arrived. And I was given um, IV antibiotics on the second day. They do like a full spectrum of antibiotics of all different types to hit all of the different. So we know Lyme comes in three different forms to hit all of the different forms. And they were given to me over IV. Then they prep you with this for, I believe, three to four days. And then they pop you in once you've got, you know, the IV antibiotics running through you. They pop you into like a chamber. And during this time, you actually put on anesthetic and they raised your body temperature to 42 degrees Celsius. So they believe and the studies show that at 41.6 degrees Celsius, uh, our body can fight off Lyme. And we know when we have Lyme, a lot of us can't actually get a temperature because our immune system is just so overwhelmed. So that's kind of the principle behind it during that uh, time you've got the temperature they also are putting IV antibiotics through your body so it's pretty intense I actually came out with like swelling and a little bit of brain swelling and I was like puffy and huge <laughs> like it was it was intense I think I had to go on a little bit of steroids to to lower um, the brain inflammation after and then I had four weeks off in between and had another one so it was believed that you should actually have two of these to have the best outcome. So I did it really quickly. I know a lot of people will do it once and then come back, but I was like, I just want to get well. How quickly can I do this? And so, yeah. So Bianca, I just want to point that. So you said, I think you said 41.6 degrees Celsius is what the, the chamber is heated up to, correct? Yes. So they do it quite slowly over, I think it was like over a four hour period. They continue to raise your temperature. So just for our, our American listeners, that's 106.88 degrees Fahrenheit, which is just to put that into context, it's really, really high, right? Mm -hmm. So give us an idea of some of your symptoms and how sick you were before you went to Malaysia. So before going to Malaysia, I had like brain fog, body aches, um, like I mentioned, the disassociation, severe depression, anxiety attacks, um, neck pain, back pain, pain everywhere. The symptoms were everywhere. Um, feeling like I was underwater all the time, but aching and just fatigue like you'd never know. Just sleep. I could just sleep for like, like I mentioned, 15, 16 hours straight, wake up, eat, have to go back to bed because I'm just so weak. And I explain it as like just pure weakness, but not knowing where I am. 
So it sounds like you were in Malaysia for about six to eight weeks. Give us an idea when you were done with the two sessions of hypothermia and the IV antibiotics, how you were feeling and if any of those symptoms were better or gone. So I never had, again, after hypothermia, I never had the intense headaches and back pain that I had prior. I never got those back. So it did help me quite a lot. Um, as I returned, I was still feeling off. I was told that it would take about six weeks to six months to start feeling the impact and the difference. And I, I def, like I mentioned, I definitely didn't have those headaches or the severe neck pain. And I know a lot of people do suffer with that, with Lyme, and it's one of the hardest things to kind of, you know, fix. So I feel really blessed that that was gone almost instantly. Um, and then I was also given oral antibiotics to go home with. So I did go down that, that route then for six months of oral antibiotics. And you did all this on your own, meaning your friend told you about Lyme disease, you ran all the testing on your own, and then you found a clinic outside of your country in another continent where you went to get treated because nobody in Australia understood Lyme disease. Exactly. Yes. But I did, as when I was traveling, I did uh, come into contact with this beautiful Australian lady. And she did tell me about a doctor who was actually sending people to, um, to Malaysia to get the treatment. So I did come into contact with someone and I was given a doctor, but I didn't actually end up going through and seeing him at that point. I felt like I had it kind of under control. I feel like it came to a point where I was like, I don't really want to put my, you know, have to pay someone all of this money when I know what I'm kind of doing. Like I had this feeling of, I don't want to go back to doctors. I felt very gaslit and very, you know, unempowered by them. So I didn't actually see anyone for, yeah, about six months. I then went and saw that doctor. So you mentioned to Rich earlier that you were working at a laundry store, I believe. And that was sort of what you were doing when you got sick. So were you still able to work while you were returning home from hyperthermia and recovering from this? So no, I, I, I actually closed down the business and I just was focusing on just my health. I, I was unable to work at all I, I really disassociated and moved away from almost everyone and I don't think I even was able to explain to people during this time what was going on so a lot of people were offended in my life I found because I was just moving back from everything I didn't know how to express it I could barely tell my family I was sending them things and they were just like you know, she's going a bit crazy. What is going on? No one really was understanding. So I was like, I just got to do all of this on my own. And that is, I think, why I was able to, you know, learn as much as I could. I would just research when I got home and I just kind of decided to do it mostly on my own. So we've heard a lot, Bianca, about brain inflammation and even encephalitis, where that causes people to act out of the norm, not themselves and do things they wouldn't normally do. So do you think that was happening with you? Because you said that you were sending stuff to your family and they were thinking, what is she saying? Right. So do you think that was a, a part of the picture as to why maybe you were acting differently? For sure, for sure, for sure. Because I, I wasn't able to pick up the phone. Like I felt like I could text people here and there and kind of explain it and be like, I'm really sick. I have this thing, but without realizing they didn't actually know what Lyme was. So when they were hearing it all, they were just as scared and just as like confused and just as like unbelieving as I was, but I was really walking the path, but, path, but I felt like I couldn't articulate that to people. 
So it was very much that I started to like switch off. And I think, yes, the brain inflammation came into play. I didn't feel confident to use my voice anymore because that was something that was, you know, one of my symptoms. I, I wasn't able to use my voice or I wasn't able to connect, you know, the brain voice, the ability to talk was like that part of my brain was shut off. So I was doing my best to explain it to everyone and sending long messages to people just trying to like put it together. But unfortunately, I, I wasn't able to use my voice. So I, I do believe that had a lot to do with the brain fog. So Bianca, I'm, I'm hearing two things here. The first part is that you weren't able to connect your brain and your speech or you couldn't properly articulate what you were thinking. But on the other hand, you were able to do research to make informed, good decisions for your health. So was your brain functioning for the most part and you were able to do research and process and understand what you were learning, but you just couldn't communicate it? So once I returned, that's when things were starting to get better. So once I got rid of those headaches after hypothermia, that's when I started to dig for more information to just research. So any energy that I did have was just purely on research. What can I do next? How can, am I doing this right? Um, you know, so that I didn't go to a doctor again and feel that pain or that, you know, that I was feeling from everyone else kind of around me. It was just very lonely. And I think I chose to you know pull back from everything so that I felt like I had control over the situation but like like you mentioned and like you asked yes I feel like once I got back from hypothermia I was able to use part you know my brain was a lot clearer and I was able to then research so I feel like if I didn't have that hypothermia and that experience it may have been really really different for me and quite a long ride I think this is really important to talk about because I had a very similar experience and many others did as well and are currently going through that are listening to this podcast, Bianca, where at some point we're not able to even process our thoughts properly, never mind communicate. So our, our brain is mush and we can't communicate. Then as we begin to heal and treat, our brain comes back. We're able to think more logically, but then we feel like we're kind of trapped in our bodies because we can't properly communicate as you noted. And now here you are today and you got everything back. So I just want to point out that I'm making this observation that you were you were pretty much trapped in your body at one point. And prior to that, you were not even able to process anything cognitively. And here you are today so much better. So I think that's a really powerful story of hope and inspiration that we're, we're getting to here. But so thank God you did the hypothermia. You got your brain back and you were able to do this research once you got home. And understandably so, you didn't want to treat with a doctor because of all of the gaslighting you received prior to getting a diagnosis and even while you were sick. So walk us through why after six months of being home, you finally decided to go treat with that doctor you heard about in Malaysia that was treating people in Australia and referring them out to Malaysia. So I decided to go there because I started to get gut issues, which we see a lot in this community. And I didn't, it wasn't a time where everyone was talking about probiotics. Like it's kind of a trend now, but when I was on antibiotics, we didn't know we had to feed the good bacteria as well. So I think what happened is through the IV and the intense experience of, you know, that hypothermia treatment and then the intensity of multiple different so I was really lucky they gave me multiple different antibiotics it wasn't just one um, I wouldn't be able to name them all off the top of my head but I was given multiple for each type of 
um, form of Lyme. So that was really lucky, but that's what really got my gut completely out. So I was like, that's where I started to realize and started to research more into the holistic area of this and start looking a little bit deeper because it was actually causing me more harm than good at this point. I started to develop acne. I started to have gut issues. I couldn't keep food down. And that really led me into more the herbal um, area of Lyme and realizing that there was other opportunities or other areas where I could look at this from a completely different standpoint. I've only ever known to treat things from a pharmaceutical standpoint, but this was like, okay, maybe I can look at this a little bit differently. And I was reading it online and I was like, okay, I might actually contact this doctor and then see if he can help me a little bit. I, I did hear from a few people over there that they were doing some type of herbal protocol, which kind of rang an alarm in my brain at that point when my gut was off. So I was like, okay, I might go and see him and see what he recommends. And then I was put on through him, put on six months of herbals, which helped as well. I definitely gave my gut a rest and then it started to hit some of the other bacteria that I did have as well. So I, I did see a little bit of an impact from the herbs. I, I still use those herbs here and there for like any, you know, viruses or bacteria. They still follow me everywhere. The woodland essence herbs, they're amazing. So yeah, that was really good. I was able to then seek him for that, just that comfort because I'd come from such, you know, a pharmaceutical only background or I'd grown up to believe, you know, doctors were the best person to kind of go to. So for me to go to herbals was like, was kind of like something that I was like, well, oh, it's a bit weird. Like who, who goes into herbal supplements type of thing. So. Do you think that the research you were doing and all of the evidence and patient stories of people who were on long-term hardcore antibiotics that had major gut issues is what convinced you to make that leap from we'll call it pharmaceutical medicine to herbal medicine. So it was a little bit, so I started to, obviously I was on my Instagram and seeing what other people were doing. Um, but I felt like I was still hope, helpless at that stage. So I still had a lot of different symptoms. I didn't have the neck pain or the brain fog, but I still had other symptoms. I was still fatigued and I was still had all of these other symptoms. So I was like, I still need to treat this thing. Like it's still not under control, but you know, I want to do it more naturally. So I think that's where the calling kind of came from the gut issue. Um, and then I'd heard the story more so in the, the area of hypothermia and all the people that were there mentioning that these were the treatments that they were doing. So I was really lucky to have heard it more so there and a little bit online. Um, I wouldn't be able to put my finger on exactly where but that's what kind of influenced me to go more down that route. So I was still able to get the bacteria under control. Um, and yeah, so that's why I decided to do the, the herbals rather than keep destroying my gut as well. Even in Malaysia, when you did hyperthermia, people were telling you there that they pivoted over to herbals as well to address some of the gut damage and also treat the microbes as well. Yes, that's right. So now we're, we're in this sort of six month window still when you're first home before you started the herbal therapies, you mentioned that you started developing gut issues and you said that you couldn't keep down food and you started developing acne. What other signs and symptoms did you have that your gut health was starting to decline and it had to be addressed? I, I had the acne that was, that was really severe for me. It, it only actually just 
I only just got rid of it recently. So the herbal definitely didn't address that. And I think that does come from our gut health as well. I was definitely experiencing constipation from all of the antibiotics and, and even the herbs as well. I was definitely feeling like not good. Um, I don't think I was addressing yet having enough water, having enough, you know, correct diet. I hadn't addressed all of that yet. I did hear it. And this is a lot of the things as well. I heard so much in that beginning and especially in that hypothermia clinic, but I still had like my own beliefs. And it's like, I had to go through my own journey of these experiences so I could fully embody and understand even like my clients today. So it's very interesting how it all comes into play. Cause I did have the signs and signals from others around me, but I was still just listening or going back on what I know. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was having the constipation. I was having the acne and I just knew that it was not right. They, they were definitely the true symptoms and, and a lot of bloating as well. All right, so now you're with this doctor who's working with you to give you herbs. Did you go off the antibiotics at this point once you saw, saw this doctor and went with the herbal route? Yes, so that I went on the, off the antibiotics, did the herbals for a few months there as well. Um, I, I can't confirm how long. I think it was about six months as well. Um, and I was completely off all of the antibiotics at this point. And this is where I started to really wake up and start going into, you know, what am I eating? Why is my gut not working? And this is where I started to go into like a, a paleo based diet and start really addressing what I was putting into my body, making sure that I was hydrated yet still, I hadn't woken up to the next stage, which was very, very important to realize about like a detoxification system and all of that as well. So it was just like a slow process into each individual thing that kind of gradually built up to me for me. So do you recall any of these specific herbs you were on? So it sounds like it was twofold. It was restorative in regard to your gut and your body from all the damage done by antibiotics, but also you continued on with an anti, you know, an antimicrobial approach too, where you were using herbs to actually kill some of the viruses and bacteria that were still left in you because you mentioned you knew you still weren't over the tick-borne illnesses. That's right. Yes. Um, I was using cryptoleptus, I believe is one of them. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, all of the, I still use cryptoleptus for any infection or virus or anything I come into contact with. It is so powerful and so effective. I'm trying to think of other ones that I've used. Anyway, I know cryptoleptus to be very, very incredible. I'm trying to think of other ones. They're not coming to me. <laughs> so, but now what was, you were on these herbs for about six months and then you mentioned that you had this detox epiphany. So were you feeling any better at the end of the six months of being on the, all these herbs? I was, but there was still this like fatigue and nausea that I was kind of experiencing at that point as well. So there was still like little symptoms that I was always coming into contact with. And I know I will like add on an extra symptom because there was just so many, like it was just, I don't think I'll ever be able to be like, okay, I had all of these. Like there was just every symptom. Lyme is every symptom. It gets into every single organ of our body. So yeah, I was still experiencing things that were just out of place. And especially that fatigue, it still was playing a huge part in me moving on with my life. So yes, they all helped to the degree, but yeah, unfortunately I was still feeling quite off from even the herbals. 
So Bianca, talk to us about what came next. You mentioned detox was the next epiphany you had, and there were some changes there that really helped you. So what brought detox into your mind and, and what steps did you take then? So I think it was the acne because that was like the first physical sign that showed that I was just not right. I started to lose the way that I was appearing and I started to feel really off about myself. And then I started to really research into what causes acne. And I came up with a lot of information on how to actually detox. I was really lucky that my doctor also was then at this time realizing because I think it's important for people to understand when I got Lyme, it was very new. So there was like antibiotics and hypothermia. Now we have so many different treatments, but at this time I was kind of like learning with him. So yeah, he, he then, you know, spoke to me about detox, but I was actually reading about it at the same time and started to realize that I had to start detoxing. And this is where I came into um, a friend of another friend of mine who messaged me and she had seen my Instagram and she was like, look, I know you're not well, but have you ever thought about your breast implants? And I was like, I was so in denial and really didn't want to have to do that to myself. Like take this part of myself out of me that made me feel good when I'd already, you know, felt so terrible about myself and was dealing with the acne and all of the symptoms and everything else that was going on and she was like honestly I feel like you should see this doctor you should read about this she showed me a few different people and that was where I was really influenced to remove my breast implants there and that was very helpful. So Bianca I want to talk about this a little bit because we've had other guests in the past as recently as just a few weeks ago with Crystal Hefner we also had some guests like Alyssa Lascala and Vanessa Laporte who have told us that they had to have explant surgery as well. And they really, really, truly believed that their breast implants were inhibiting them from getting better, that these foreign substances in their body were suppressing their immune system. And in some cases, they were actually developing mold and leaking toxins into their body. So walk, you know, walk us through why breast implants can be so bad for people in general, never mind somebody who's chronically ill trying to battle a wide variety of tick-borne illnesses. Yes, so they're definitely a damper on the immune system. They're a foreign object in our body. So our body is constantly fighting them. So what happens is, and you can see like on my story as well, when I remove them, they have this kind of like skin-like form around them. And that's the body's defense. And that's the proof in the pudding really that that's what your body's doing. So I didn't have any leaks. I was really lucky. I did experience some nerve pain and issues from how I was, how they were put in incorrectly and things like that, but I didn't experience anything like that. And I do know that they are moldy and I do know that they are a huge damper on our immune system. So you can only imagine how much more of an impact or how hard it would have been for my body to fight when it's already like, this part of the immune system is attacking these two implants. And then it's got all of these bacterias and all of these medications going in. And I feel like my, my body was just overwhelmed at that point. So removing them allowed, I feel like my body to like breathe again, very quickly, straight after the black circles around my eyes were completely gone. And I just started, I just looked healthier once they were gone. And that was, that was almost immediate. It's interesting you just made that statement that you felt like your body could breathe better. Because one of the things we heard from Crystal Hefner is that immediately upon waking up from the surgery, she felt like she could breathe better than she ever could while having the implants in. So did you share that same feeling? Of course, yes. I was just like, like, I just felt like 
I can't explain them because I don't really remember how they felt now, but I just felt like a lot better, like upon waking up and you'd think you'd feel pretty terrible after anesthetic, but I felt better. So yeah, it was definitely a huge, huge turning point in my healing journey. So now at this point, it sounds like you're taking away obstacles that your immune system is facing. So you can allow your body to start to repair and heal itself using natural tools like herbs and also diet and exercise and sleep and all these new things you're learning about detox. So what happens next? What other detox tools are you learning and what else are you doing to improve your health? So unfortunately, I will quickly share here a week after removing my implants, um, unfortunately, straight away, I woke up. Yeah, it was a week later. I was still in recovery and I woke up and I couldn't feel my right foot at all. I thought that it was potentially like pins and needles, like I'd been laying on the foot and I went to walk and I'll explain it like my foot was just dropped. So I actually couldn't use it. So I, I went to stand and walk, but I'm also recovering from breast implant surgery. So you can imagine I couldn't use my arms to get myself anywhere. And I was living at the back of my parents' place at this time. And I called my father into the, the, the room and I was like, please come here. It was the middle of the night. And he's like, oh, she's still being a little bit crazy. Like you're fine. And he's brought in like a heat pack and ice pack and I could not feel anything. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is it. Like I'm not going to be able to walk again. And I'd experienced all the people in hypothermia who were that far into their journey. And I could not believe it. Like it just ran over me. I'm like, oh, I couldn't walk. So I quickly got myself to the hospital. They could not understand what was going on with me. They did. I told them about Lyme. Of course, they denied it. Um, they did a spinal tap to see if there was any Lyme. And they said there was no Borrelia in your body. You're fine. Um, a, a back surgeon came in and was like, you're a perfect person for me to do a spinal fusion on, but there's nothing wrong with you. And no one could ever explain it. So I ended up staying in hospital for about three months and with physio learning how to walk again during that time so it was quite heavy it was I think that was the waking up of like my spiritual side and really having to look within myself and like fall in love with myself and love myself at that point because I didn't have the ability to just get up and walk or distract myself with anything else like I I couldn't walk so it was it was a very tough period but it really taught me so many lessons like I had to fight I had to like I, I always share this story like I, I literally crawled to the bathroom and like looked at myself in the mirror and I was like you've got this like I had to tell myself like you've got to do this and I just continued to fight as I learned how to walk again and yeah eventually was an able um, I, I am able now to walk again which is very very lucky there's still no explanation of what this period was for me I still have a tiny little bit of like numbness no pain in my toe but overall you wouldn't know but I also have images of it as well like my my calf was just like I had no muscle on my calf left it was just like hanging and so, yeah, it was very interesting. I'm not sure if the implant surgery moved some stuff around. But after that experience, then I started to get healthier and healthier. Even though that seems extreme, it was the wake-up call that I kind of needed. 
Bianca, we're so sorry you had to go through that. And thank God you're doing much better today and you're able to walk. But I, I wonder, do you think that it was the physical trauma of the explant surgery, although it was beneficial for you and necessary, that the physical trauma caused your body to just sort of give up, right? I mean, you, had, you were probably flush with toxins. You had so much going on. We know that neuropathy, small fiber neuropathy, things like that are very common with Lyme disease. So do you think that the surgery is the direct cause of your issue with your foot and not being able to walk? I'm honestly not sure it could have been the anesthetic. It could have been the movement. Like maybe I had some Borrelia in there, you know, maybe something just moved around or it, it impacted my brain. There was never an explanation of why the doctors actually had all of these. It was very confronting, but they were like, do you mind if we use you for like a study? And there was like all of these university students and I was like wheeled in on the wheelchair and they're like all trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Like they, they couldn't come to a conclusion. And still to this day, that doctor still will email me like, how are you? He just can't get over. He was an infectious disease doctor. One of the main Sydney hospitals and he couldn't put a finger on it and because they couldn't get the Borrelia confirmed in that spinal tap they just couldn't they just had to rule it out in terms of what they're allowed to do. I want to ask you a really hard question but I it makes me wonder so you you mentioned that all along you had to really use this time to focus on you and your mindset and your emotions and really reflect on what was going on with you personally because you couldn't walk there was nothing you can do for a distraction and you chose to become a fighter. You chose to say, I'm going to get better. I got this. I'm going to get through this. Do you think if you didn't have, and I don't, I don't mean that you psychologically healed your foot. That's not what I'm implying. But do you think that if you didn't have that mindset of, I'm going to get better, you wouldn't have done what was necessary to heal and possibly that you could have been wheelchair bound for the rest of your life if it weren't for you and fighting so aggressively, physically, going through physical therapy and forcing yourself to do what was so hard to get your ability to walk back for sure and there was one benefit of not being able to walk I did watch a lot of Netflix and I actually came into contact with the law of attraction and like the secret as well and I found that really impactful I was like oh I've never heard of anything like this and there's actually a story of a gentleman on there who actually recovered a completely destroyed spine through his thoughts alone and there's a lot of studies that our mindset is so important and I feel like it did it really did impact me just watching that film during that time like I was just resting a lot so it was that but I, I did have this like internal fight or like wake up call it was like I had two choices. I had the choice to fall into like severe depression and hate myself and just take all of these pills that they were giving me and really, really struggle. Or I had the choice to like fight. And then I also had the core Instagram. So I had people that I know that I felt like I had to fight for. And this was something that I feel like I was kind of born with as well. I was always helping different people in my life. So I felt like if I can get through this, then I can help other people and this is where the whole kind of wake up call happened and I really started to use my thoughts as as best I could to help heal my body you're starting to solidify your, your new purpose that you were going to help other people and that if you didn't get better you couldn't do that and that was a really driving force to help you heal yourself so you could help other people that's right. Yes. That's definitely where the wake up call for that came in. I was like, how can I help all of these people that I've already helped and how my friend helped me if I just give up or if I don't, you know, fight for this. And 
then I was using my thoughts. I was waking up in the morning instead of being like, oh, it's like another horrible day of this like fatigue syndrome and all of that down talk we do to ourselves due to, you know, all of the issues that do come with Lyme when we look at it from relationships, doctors, all of the gaslighting, and then it comes becomes a part of our identity. But I started to change those thoughts as well. When I'd wake up, I'd be like, I am so glad to be here today. And I would change that initial thought of that symptom and start really talking to myself in a way that I could fight it as well. And I do believe that was a huge, huge game changer for me. So what were you doing, if anything, from a treatment standpoint to help yourself improve once you came home from the hospital? So I was just doing, so I had a physiotherapist when I was in the hospital. So I was taught some exercises. I was doing these exercises. They definitely helped like moving it and making sure that I walked all the time. Um, And then I started to read about ozone. So I decided then there was no ozone clinic in Australia. There is one now, I believe in Sydney and Castle Hill. However, at that time, they they didn't exist in Australia. So I researched quickly and found the Bali Ozone Clinic. And so I went, my parents were actually going to Bali. So I was like, oh, I might join your trip and just come. And they already had a place. So I was like, I'm just going to come and try that. So we had some ozone injections in that area. And I found that to be very, very helpful as well. So that was kind of the next step with the foot. And then from there, I just continued with the stretching, with the movement of the foot, and it continued to get better. Um, There was some times where I went through periods of it being quite painful, like I couldn't touch it. There was a lot of nerve issues going on, like it was completely burning and nothing would help. Um, But the ozone definitely, definitely helped that, all of that nerve pain for me. So this is IV ozone, correct? Uh, it was like an injection of ozone straight. I, I don't know how many cc's of what they exactly put now, but they just injected right into the toe. It's very painful, <laughs> but very successful. <laughs> and so it makes me wonder how and why that worked, right? We do know that the ozone is very effective at killing so many pathogens from tick-borne illnesses. And that when your blood, you know, in traditional ozone, when your, your blood goes through the ozone, it will kill the Borrelia bacteria. It will kill a lot of the co-infections. So you think that it sounds like your conclusion was earlier that possibly the Borrelia got loosened up and ended up in your foot. So do you think that it was killing a lot of the pathogens that were now making a home in your foot and causing you so much pain? Potentially, yes. That's the only conclusion that I could really come up with. I know that Bartonella affects the feet a lot. So I feel like maybe that was not being addressed properly at that time. And it had the potential in the weakness of removing the implants, you know, being on all of these painkillers and all of that stuff that I was on during that time that it had a potential to come out. Um, however, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how it helped, but it definitely, definitely made a big difference for me. Bianca, were you still doing any herbals or anything at this point? So now you're home from the hospital, you're doing ozone with your parents, you know, you, you travel to with the ozone. Were you doing any herbals, supplements, anything else at this point to help you heal? No. So I, I went into, I decided when I was removing the implants that I would come off everything and just really let my body detox whatever I was on. So this is where I started to use a sauna and learn about, you know, our renals and learn about all the different detox systems in our body. And I was just purely focusing on detoxing and like rejuvenating my immune system after all of the overwhelm of all of the drugs and everything else. I decided to just like let my body be for a little while. So 
yeah, well, I did the ozone, but I, when I was at the ozone clinic, I also did some like in the ear ozone and like all of these different treatments when I was there. So that helped um, to a degree during that period, but I wasn't actually on any treatment. I just wanted to like rest and let my body do what it needed to do. And when I was at the hospital, they actually obviously weren't allowing me to take any of this stuff and they didn't agree that I should be on any antibiotics. And so it was a bit of a tough time trying to fight with them and be like, this is what it is. You can't come up with a conclusion. So what else could it possibly be? So yeah, that was that period of time. I was actually off everything. Give us a little bit more information about detox. You talked about using infrared sauna, but what else did you do to help detox or purge all of the toxins in your body from the dye off all the bacteria you were killing? So I started to use a coffee enemas, very, very effective for the liver bile. I find a huge problem that we have in the Lyme community is a lot of us actually also have like the HLA gene and they have um, specific genes that affect us with B vitamins and the ability to actually detox. So it's a very interesting way to look at it. But once you put all of these drugs and you have that kill, kill, kill mentality, we're not addressing our body in the beginning with the detox system and how it should actually be working. And we need to make sure, you know, we alkaline our body. We need to be drinking particular waters and having bicarb soda into our water and alkalizing the body, allowing the body to rejuvenate itself. When it's full of acid, it's not able to do that. Um, I would do saunas every day. I would do Epsom salt baths. I would use an iconic ionic foot spa. I would, and I do that every two to three days. It can be quite, I know a lot of people don't believe in them as such, but it's really important if you're looking at an ionic foot spa that it's got specific irons and then it's not coming from a a cheap place, I guess. (laughs) It needs to have the specific irons so that it can detox the body and even everything out. So that really draws everything out of the system. And then what else was I doing? And then saunas, obviously, every day. And then I learned about binders, binding the toxins in the gut so that we could then, you know, get rid of the toxins. So you're killing the bacteria, but there's, where are the toxins going? You know, we, I wasn't, you know, the constipation in the beginning, where were they all going? It's just like, I continue to clog up the, I like to use like the analogy of like a glass, a water glass. And it was just so full and muggy that there was just nothing. It was just continuing to over overflow basically, and just continue to wash around the body. There was nowhere for it to come out. So I found especially the enemas so, so helpful just to remove all of that out. Yeah. Could you recall what type of binders you were using? Yes, I used a lot, but I found cholesteramine very, very helpful. Um, That was something that was given to me by the doctor as well. So I think you need a script, I believe, to use cholesteramine, but that one was very, very strong and it was very necessary during that period as well to make sure I really detoxed and cleared everything out. It is quite strong. So I would have it at night before I'd sleep so I could just kind of detox while I was sleeping. And then I would use like charcoal or chlorella during the day. You had your explant surgery, you're home from the hospital now after your foot and you're just focusing on detox. Are you feeling better or are you having like sort of ups and downs where you're maybe doing a little bit too much and coming back down and levelizing again? Yes. So I was having good and bad days. Like you explained, I was having, um, 
like in and out of remission. I, I feel like after the breast implants, I did kind of declare and I felt like I was in remission, but there was still something else causing like a little bit of fatigue that I just couldn't get my hand on at that time. So I was actually living by a train station at this time. And I'd done a little bit of research and was like, okay, maybe I have like an EMF sensitivity. So I actually didn't think it was Lyme. So yes, I was having this like, you know, good and bad day, but it was still like just something not feeling right. So I had this guy come out and he, he checked for EMF issues in my house, which is very extreme to go to. I know a lot of people don't realize how much that can really impact our health as well, but everything was fine. The readings were perfect. The next day he called me and he's like, this is going to be really weird. And I was like, don't worry, nothing is weird to me at this point he's like I actually suffer from a mold illness and I am so sick after visiting your house that I haven't been able to get out of bed and he was actually in bed for two weeks after living at my house so this whole entire period I was pretty much living at the same apartment in the city it was brand new my furniture did come from my parents' place, so I don't know what happened with cross-contamination at this point, but I just didn't think this was an issue for me because this was a brand new property. So I never looked into it. That's why I went straight to EMF. I was like, it's a new property, there's no mold. I didn't understand that, the, that we could have mycotoxins. So I did an ERMI test at that point and it came back with large colonies of mold throughout the entire apartment and I could not believe it. I was like... Okay, so when I originally got sick, I was living in this place and I've been living in this place this whole time. So how much of it was Lyme and how much of it was this mold that I've been breathing in this whole time I'm trying to heal my body? So that was kind of the next period of my life, figuring out mold now. And I feel like that's a huge problem for a lot of us. Bianca, we've heard from so many Lyme specials that you can do everything possible to treat Lyme, but if you don't address mold and you have chronic mold exposure, you're not going to get better, right? And I think part of that is because mold is such a chronic immune suppressor and the Borrelia bacteria is very, very sticky. So you're, you're treating the Lyme, your immune system is compromised because of the mold, that you stop treating, the Lyme will flourish again, and it, it won't really get managed or under control until you can address the mold get your immune system in a good place so it can keep the Lyme under control and bring you back to a symptom-free and, and good quality of life again. So do you think that that's what was happening is you were kind of just like almost on the seesaw, right? You were treating, getting a little bit better and then you stop and then the mold kicks in. It's a pressure in your immune system. The Lyme and everything else comes back into play. You get sick again, you treat. All right, you're feeling a little bit better. You kind of go back and forth until you finally realize there's more here keeping me sick. And that in your case was mold, it sounds like. That's right. That's exactly what was happening. And I was like, okay, I'm in remission. I'm out of remission. I'm in remission. Okay, what's going on? And through this period, I was traveling. So I didn't realize when I was out of my house or I'd go for a walk, I noticed this like detox almost symptom, like a really dry mouth. But everything was just like, it's Lyme or it's, you know, it's just Lyme. That's why I'm experiencing this. But I, I couldn't differentiate the symptoms. And I still struggled too because they're so, so similar. And they're all related. And I think it's all just about that immune system is just so dampened by it that that's right. I was able to help the Lyme, but I wasn't able to detox, especially, you know, all of the bacteria. I wasn't detoxing this mold and my detox system was just completely out of balance. That's why my adrenals were off. Then my hormones became off. Then, you know, the skin, the gut, 
all of it just made sense at this point because that's why I, I did all of these things. And maybe that was the difference between me and this guy in the very beginning. Maybe that's why he recovered instantly, but I was, I couldn't understand why I did what he did and he was fine. Why was I still sick? And I feel like it was the mold. And, I, and like those doctors have said, I believe that your detox system needs to be working before anything else. And I believe that you need to check your house before anything else in order to heal you did this ermi test which for those who don't know an ermi test is a home mold test correct mm -hmm. yes yeah. and you realize you had this much mold in your home what did you do to remediate the mold did you move did you clean the mold so I decided to completely get rid of everything <laughs> at this point. I had done the research and obviously lived through four years of Lyme at this stage or three and a half years of Lyme. And I was not willing to risk anything. Like I said earlier, I was already in that mindset of like, I'm going to attract the right things. I want to be healthy. Like, that's it. I will give up anything at this point for my health. So I really had to get rid of all the materialistic things in my life and start completely over. So everything that I owned, I got rid of and started over. I went back to my parents' house and stayed there for a little bit and realized their mold was actually much worse than my own. So I decided at this point to move into a tent for a period of time to completely detox I'd seen other people's stories and they're like I just feel so good out here and I have to agree moving into that tent was the best thing I ever did I felt so free I felt my health was completely back my brain was so clear I was running around the block I was lifting weights I was like back to my normal healthy self and I could not believe it at this point and then as I was living in this tent, I decided, look, I'm going to go to Thailand. I had some family friends that lived there and they were like, come over, stay here for a little bit. And this was at the end of 2019, 2020. And I went there and unfortunately ended up getting a virus. Still unknown. So who knows? It was 2020. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but I got this virus a few weeks after being in Thailand. And this leads me, I, I don't know if you want to wrap anything up with the mold or have any other questions before I go to that. You were so sick. You moved into your parents' house. I'm guessing you had an ERMI test on there as well at your parents' house? No, I could just feel it. I you was like, oh, and I could see it as well. Like it was visible because it was an older property. So I was like, oh, there's mold here. And like, now I know I don't sit with it. I'm like looking for it all the time in every crevice. So I, was, I started to become quite aware of it and knew I didn't feel well there. A lot of people tell us all the time, Bianca, that they don't want to spend the money or they can't find the money to investigate and do an ERMI test and look at remediation. So how long did it take you from living in a tent to know that you're feeling better? Because this might be a very simple tool. People who suspect mold but don't have the resources to investigate can try this, right? And if they feel better, this can be even more evidence leading to the fact that possibly they're coming into contact with mold regularly, keeping them sick. Look, it's, it's a pretty tough one to be like hey go and get a tent and stay there for two weeks but honestly if you're feeling these symptoms and you feel like you have it and you can't afford an early test get a tent and try it for two weeks and just see I, I started to notice differences if you go to like my stories when this happened to me you can see the difference in my eyes like within 24 hours so I had like this puffiness from 
the mold exposure. And you can see the difference in 24 hours, my face started to change shape. I started to detox. I was very thirsty. But then within that two week period, I started to run and exercise and I was like feeling really good. I was sleeping, you know, the core amount of hours and I was waking up. I was still having my binders, but I wasn't on any Lyme treatment, but I was just waking up and I was just feeling so well. I was like, is this real? Like I had to pinch myself. I was feeling so healthy for so for anyone that can't afford an ERMI test, I always say to them, if there's somewhere you can go to detox if you can get a tent, if you can go somewhere, it's a little bit hard because a lot of properties could potentially have it. That's why I found the tent to be the best option. And I know it's very extreme, um, but I was willing to do that at that point. And I, I do recommend that to people. If you can't afford it, try that because you may just see that your environment is the issue. So talk to us more now about your this transition. You said you went to Thailand, you got a virus, which probably could have been COVID, right? and your health started to decline. So walk us through more about that journey that you were just talking about earlier. So I had this very weird virus. I actually, I actually, I don't think I mentioned, but I, during that period after the ozone, I bought an ozone machine. So I brought that with me as well. And I was able to get some oxygen when I was in Thailand. So I had like my ozone machine with me and I was like treating this virus that I had. I went to the hospital because I had a really bad temperature. Um, they just said, it's just like, a normal virus there's nothing we can really do to help you so I just went home from there and just rested um but then I felt like symptoms starting to come up again so I was like oh maybe it's like Bartonella or maybe there's some type of mold here as well I didn't really know what was going on but I started to develop red eyes bladder pain all of these extreme symptoms and I didn't know what was going on there were new symptoms so it was like almost like a UTI pain constantly and I had these like very red eyes and I was like okay maybe it's the ozone I didn't know what was kind of causing it the ozone the virus what it was at this point so I then had an opportunity to go on the way home a friend had mentioned 10 pass ozone in the Philippines <laughs> so I've done everything really I was like I'm just going to give this 10 pass ozone thing a shot like I can't get rid of this virus maybe it's like earlier again I'm on the way home before I move into my new place I'm going to try this so I did two rounds of 10 pass ozone at this point and it wasn't it actually made things worse so I don't know if it was you know um, what I now know and what I found out it to be Marcel when I got home um, or if it was, the, you know, the virus or what it was, I found that the 10 pass ozone made me a lot worse. So then I, you know, traveled home after getting that. I was really not well. And I moved into the brand new property and I didn't take anything with me. Like I mentioned earlier, I got rid of everything I owned. So the outfit that I had on, I, I had one brand new outfit to put on and I went into the house, had a shower because I, I didn't want any mycotoxins to come in. Like I was being so cautious and I moved into this new place. And as soon as I moved in, I started to feel unwell again. I was like, how can this be? It's a brand new place. What is going on? And I'd still had these red eyes, this blood pain, and it continued to get worse as I brought new items. And then I started to, like, I was opening up a TV, my brand new TV, and I started to get, like, really shaky and, like, off. And I was like, what is going on? Like, it's just a brand new TV. What is happening to me now? It was like another can of worms. And it's like, what ended up happening is I went back to that doctor 
that I'd seen originally. And he was like to me, okay, I feel like it's mast cell activation syndrome. And I was like, what now? Like, what is this? <laughs> so over time, my immune system continued to be like overwhelmed. And then there was just like all of these different things that continued to happen. And it's just like, in the end, it was now I had mast cell and I couldn't believe it. And I don't know if it was caused by the virus or if it was caused by what it was. So he gave me these puffers to try. And he was like, look, try these. And if they work, then you have mast cell activation. Bianca, what's a puffer? Is that like an inhaler? Yes. So it's like, um, yeah, like what you use for asthma. There was particular ones that he gave me. And he was like, okay, try this. And if it works, like you have muscle activation. And so, yes, that's what I did next. And it helped. And I was like, okay, I got a new problem. So now I'm not only allergic to old homes, I'm allergic to new homes. It was like, I just continued to go through the ropes of everything that kind of comes with Lyme, but over such a slow amount of time. And I don't don't know that I had those chemical sensitive chemical sensitivities before I tried the 10 plus ozone before I had that virus I don't know maybe it was always there but I didn't notice it they all of the symptoms kind of correlate but there was like a particular symptom of like the the red eyes and the UTI kind of pain that I had with Marcel that was new so I don't know what happened if this happened in the US as well but we actually started to run out of asthma puffers in in we did as well Yeah. So I was unable to actually get them. And so that kind of led me into the stabilizers and I got myself on all of the different stabilizers. I decided to do a antihistamine diet um, for about two months. And then I was kind of told by my doctor, look, we think that Marcel is actually caused by Borrelia and we actually have this new drug which I was like very past, like I mentioned, I was on the herbal route, holistic route at this point. Um, And we have this new drug and we can potentially, you know, help you get rid of Lyme altogether because it gets in the cystic form and we can entirely heal you. So I was then introduced to disulfram and went on that journey as well. Yeah, can I, I'm sorry sorry to interrupt. Can I just, before we go into disulfram, I do want to ask, you mentioned that when COVID hit and you ran out of asthma inhalers, you went on stabilizers for MCAS. What do you mean by stabilizers? Sorry, um, Marcel stabilizers, so H1 and H2 blockers. So I went on sodium chromoglycate. I don't know if I'm pronouncing these correctly. And I went on keto tiffin. Thank you. Because many people do suspect that they're suffering from MCAS or know they have MCAS and they're looking for tools to feel better. And you gave us two great ones. So thank you. And it sounds like the inhaler really is an asthma inhaler. So it's not like some other puffer. It's really an inhaler that would be prescribed for somebody with asthma, but it's a multi-purpose tool to help with MCAS as well. Correct. Yes. So I'm not sure how it works in the medical way, but I know that it was able to help the histamines, you know, calm down during that time. So yeah, it was a very, very helpful tool to see if it was going on. And it also helped the bladder pain calm down so much. Well, thank you for that. I'm sorry to interrupt. So if you, if you want to go back to that, I self Yeah. So from there, I, I, yeah, I was told, you know, look, we think that Marcel could have a link to Borrelia at this point. He was seeing it a lot and he was like, look, maybe you should try Disulfram. And so I was very not 
on like on board with any pharmaceuticals at this time after what it experienced, but apparently it didn't get the gut either. So I was like, okay, well, that's what I was kind of told at this time from the evidence that we're looking at is not actually affecting people's guts. And like, it's, it's really effective. And look, I went on this eight month journey of starting off very low, very slow. It's very important to start off very, very low and slow with disulfiram. It can be quite heavy. And I don't know if it would have been good for me in the beginning with all of the brain inflammation and things like that. I think it's for particular people. Um, you know, you're, it really can affect the brain um, and cause depression and other things as well. So it's very, it can be a quite extreme medication, but it wasn't, it wasn't able to touch the gut. So it definitely helped, but it led me to the next part of my journey, which was parasites. I'm sorry, before you go to parasites, when you say it helped, do you mean it helped with your MCAS or other symptoms or both? So it definitely helped with every, uh, I was still on the mast cell stabilizers. So I was completely stable at this point by the mast cell stabilizers. So going back to that, that took me about two to three months to completely stabilize, but I was stable on the stabilizers, which obviously I wasn't happy with because that was also a pharmaceutical, but it helped me. And I was just, you know, staying on those. And especially staying on those through the disulfiram experience was very important so that my mast cells were under control throughout the whole time. Another huge important part of disulfiram as well, I think some people might miss, is taking DHM with it, which helps with that alcohol toxicity. As you, yeah, you guys have probably heard that it does, you can't drink alcohol, you can't be in contact with certain perfumes. I never had any severe experiences like that. I just made sure I ate a particular diet and I was mostly okay. Um, but DHM was a game changer with that as well. And yeah, if you do have Marcel and you're going to go on disulfiram, the stabilizers really helped because you're killing other things. So the immune system can just focus on doing that. And then obviously like a whole detox protocol with that as well. And then from there, I started to see parasites. And I know this can be very controversial and very weird, but this is why I haven't really mentioned my doctor's name because as I continue to see these parasites, even though this doctor had got me that far, when it came to parasites, it was like, they don't exist like you don't have them that's not your problem and I was then pushed into this new journey of like okay this gets even deeper than Lyme and this is like being denied even further so as I think this is not a medical understanding but this is just my understanding is that disulfiram kills Babesia which is a parasite a blood parasite and I believe it had some ability to help me get rid of parasites at this point so I was starting to see them and starting and I was like what is coming out of me this is really weird but it is an anti-parasitic drug so that's where I started to to feel off and when I came off disulfiram I went into this almost remission but then it spiked like even worse where I got really really sick within like four weeks and I think what happened here is like the parasites were kind of almost tampered with and annoyed. And then they spiked and got extremely active after this. And my liver was really not working very well after this. And so that led me down the avenue of trying to find someone who would help me 
with parasites now. So I now had a new problem. Bianca, just to clarify. So when you said you were on disulfiram, obviously it does address Babesia, which is a bloodborne pathogen, but you, it also, you believe helps with GI parasites as well. And you were able to see them. So, you know, not to get too graphic, but when in your stool, you were actually seeing parasites you were passing from your GI tract while on disulfiram is what you mean, right? Yes. Yeah. So I was actually seeing them. I was hearing other stories of other people having this experience. So I started to look and I started to see them and they were just coming out without stool. Like I was just passing these, these worms. And I was like, okay, this is really full on. And at this point, everyone, you know, I just experienced Lyme. I just experienced mold. Then I'd experienced the muscle. And now we have worms. Like everyone's going to think I'm insane. And I felt insane. I was like, how is this happening? Like what is going on? And so then I went through that avenue of trying to find someone who would help me with parasites, which was even harder than someone who would help me with Lyme. So Bianca, you're a 232nd podcast guest, and we've noticed some patterns over the last two years of running this podcast. We've heard from a lot of people that both mold and parasites can prevent people from getting better when they're doing everything right to treat Lyme disease. And it sounds like this is exactly the same situation that you were in. That's right. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely like everything kind of comes into play, but it's also really important when you do research a little bit about the tick, the ticks also carry their own parasites. So there is this, if there was a tick that was involved, then that was also passed through. And what I found really intriguing about this whole experience is like, when you look back on history, our ancestors were doing these parasite cleanses every month. And I'm not sure what happened along this journey, but we've forgotten. And I feel like it's really important. And even though now I'm healthy, I will still continue to do a parasite cleanse every single month forever because they are something that can continue to go on and they are just as hard as Lyme to get rid of. They are very, very hard to, to remove from the body. So I do know that parasites are controversial and you mentioned you're not really comfortable sharing your doctor's name publicly, but walk us through once you found this doctor who you're working with, what kind of treatment you did to finally address the parasites, which sounds like that was a final leg of what you needed to accomplish to fully heal. So I went to the doctor with the store, like, you know, saying and showing the photos of these parasites. And he was like, they're just biofilm. It's just biofilm. It's not that I even had an actual parasite tested and it came back negative. It was what I've been told now by my parasite specialist that was a liver fluke. Um, but unfortunately, the testing system failed me again. It was negative for anything. So it was like, it's just biofilm. And I felt completely denied at that point. And I was like, no, this is something else. Like, this is coming out of me. I'm not just like picking this out. Like, this is coming out every day. There's something going on. So, I was then lucky again, another follower of mine, I mentioned it on my stories and she, she said to me, look, I've got this really good doctor and his name's Brandon Veal. I still am doing his treatment and still like, will do that every month forever. It's incredible. Um, and yeah, I was really blessed to come into contact with him. He's an incredible person and, and knew all about it, had been on his own health journey for 10 years and figured out that parasites were his biggest issue. And I then went on this journey with him for six months of completely healing my body, but not just attacking parasites from the area of like pharmaceuticals or anything like that. It was like, no, we're going to clear your gut. He was, he looked at it in such a different perspective and how I look at Lyme now. He's like, you need to clear your gut. You need to have your liver 
functioning. You need to have the bio flow, bio, um, sorry, liver bile flowing and everything needs to be working. And then we'll target those parasites because if you try and just attack them with medications or anything like that, you're just gonna to continue to get clogged. And I feel like that's what happened with disulfiram for me being an antiparasitic drug. It then clogged my liver, my, my detox system up even more because I was dealing with parasites. And I think that's why some people get well off disulfiram as well. And some people may not. If they are dealing with a parasite issue, it could be a reason. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, that was a really interesting way of doing it. So if I went through the six months of a vegan diet, alkalizing my body, specific herbs that he does and makes for himself and uh, coffee enemas every day. And yeah, a, a really beautiful protocol that got me really well. So and these herbs, Bianca, for the parasites, these were herbs that he made. So they're not something that you can share that you bought like online or a specific type of herb that were proprietary yes. to him. Yeah. So he uses specific herbs himself. He has created this protocol that's really successful. Um, I did try like Cellcor and other things and didn't have the best success with those. And I think that's because my detox system may have not been working at this time. And I think that's the missing part that he was able to share with me. He was able to say, look, we need to look at your gut and make sure everything's flowing and then we go in for the kill. And I really look at Lyme the same way now. And so within two months, so the beginning of this protocol, I started to remove gallstones, not on purpose, like it wasn't a gallbladder flush. They just started to like, I was just actually, you know, getting rid of them from both ends. And I don't know why, but I was, my liver was so clogged that this herbal protocol and as I alkalized my body, I started to remove them. So it was very interesting that that happened straight away. And then after that, that's when my remission really kicked in and hasn't changed. So, so I want to recap this because I think it's a really important topic. We shouldn't just focus on killing parasites. We have to open up our drainage pathways and ensure as we kill the parasites, we can properly remove them from our bodies. That's right. I, I believe fully that your body needs to be prepared. It needs to be in a good condition. And we have different areas where they sit and they sit in the gut, they sit in the colon, but they also sit in the small intestine, which is very, very hard to get into. And also through my research, I found that when you're taking an antiparasitic drug, it actually has to be detoxed through your liver first. So how much of that actually gets to the parasite is, you know, unknown. But through these parasite enemas with the herbal enemas that I'm doing, the parasites actually don't understand that this is like a toxin to them because it's almost like a specific herbal food. And they're then able to intake that and it it does get rid of them pretty quickly when your body is ready for them to be removed. So I do believe like Lyme now, when I look at it, you need to set your, your body up for that before you go in for the kill. It needs to be working and you need to be in the right environment for sure. So Bianca, are you still doing these parasite cleanses? Yeah. So I actually haven't done. So the last phase was like a liver and gallbladder flush. So I've done everything else. I've been really healthy, but I had the move in between. So I've kind of been in remission, I'd say, since July last year. Completely healthy, working out. Things are really good since just doing this parasite cleanse, getting rid of those gallstones. Not sure how this happened. Obviously mixed with everything else that I've been through. Um, also, one thing that he really instilled in me was 
to come off the Marcella stabilizers and watch my body release the toxins. So I was actually, I went through a stage of like a few weeks of covered in rashes. Um, I didn't, I lucky enough, didn't get the bladder pains ever again. Um, so it wasn't as extreme. Um, but I came off everything as well. So I, I did forget to mention that. And that's a pretty important piece. When I chose to do this parasite cleanse, I came off everything else and was like, I'm going to do this. My mindset was very, very strong. And I was like, okay, this is the last piece of the puzzle. And I kind of made that decision first and then went through the detoxing and the slow process of all of it. But within two months of being on it, I was really healthy. So Bianca, let's now talk about your journey of transformation. You were a young person who was kind of without a rudder. You were kind of floating from place to place and just sort of doing what, what was there for you to do. And then you got sick, right? And when you went on your healing journey, you started to go on a different journey as well, right? As you were working on your illness, it was working on you. I should say, as you were working on overcoming your illness with the work you were doing, that was working on you. And you started to discover who you are and you started to discover your purpose. And it sounds to me that that purpose began with you opening up an Instagram page and you're, and you started to share the elements of your journey very early on. Um, and it was that interaction between you and the community on Instagram that began to define your purpose. Why don't you share with us how that developed? Yeah, for sure. So I actually started off a page called Lime Down Under. And that was when I was in hypothermia, because a few people there were like, follow me on Instagram. And they had like a couple of them had Lime pages. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like we can all connect and just share. But I actually didn't show my face until like, I think 2018. So I had it for a couple of years, but I was just sharing information. And so people didn't actually know who I was until, yeah, 2018. So I then transitioned as I transitioned through the almost spiritual journey. I think it, like I mentioned, it was the leg that really pushed me into this. Like I need to search for meaning in this, like this can't be it. I can't be suffering forever. And like, I actually have all of these people who, you know, come to me for advice and I share it with them and I feel like I need to help them and I need to get well. And it was almost like an awakening in my body. But at the same time, I would toss between that and like severe depression because it was really tough to go through all of these things and have no, no one that understood me. And I feel like I then could see the pain in all these other people. And I was like, okay, how can I heal, like heal myself so I can heal them? And that's where it kind of all started to just slowly develop. And as I developed into who I truly was, I was searching for meaning in life and I had this experience I, I put on my Instagram stories and I was like, does anyone know a energy healer? And you, if you were to ask me how I came up with this idea, because I tried everything else, I don't know where it came from, but I was like, I just want like an energy healer. And I was really lucky that I was then sent an energy healer to go and see. And I had this Reiki healing. And this is where I decided after to be a Reiki practitioner because I had this healing and I can't explain it, but I kind of call it like the remembering in my life. Like I, she cleared, it was actually visual because it was over COVID times. And she cleared all of my energy centers and taught me about like a chakra system, which is now actually admitted by the Heart Institute. 
and she cleared my energy centers, but I was like convulsing, not in a way that I was like having an attack, but I released all of this emotional trauma that was in my body from everything I'd experienced in my whole entire life, especially in the last, like that last core few years. And it just was like released. But I also then after was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I want everyone to experience this too. And so I was actually studying psychology at the time and I dropped out and I was like, I need to do Reiki. Like I want to become a Reiki practitioner. So I educated myself into it because I needed to understand how this thing worked and how I could then bring it to the community to help people heal as well. And so that, that was my awakening. It was that, that when I, when I hurt my foot and I was stuck by myself in that room, I started to realize that this pain that I was experiencing is actually my purpose and that Lyme actually happened for me and not to me. Cause like you said, I didn't know where I was or who I ever was, but all I was ever doing in my life was helping people. I was never, I never had like a really core close, you know, thing that I was going to do but I always found myself searching for something more and then this happened and now I'm in this position where I've experienced all of the things that I've just mentioned and now I'm able to then like you know look at it look look at it from a different perspective and be like wow like this happened for me like wow now I can help all of these people and then when I help them and I share my voice and they don't have to go through this you know, and it just continued to develop. And then I was like, wow, like this is actually beautiful in the strangest way. And it's really hard to sit there and and for some people to hear that it could be a slap in the face. But when we come to terms with our pain and we look at it as this is like there's more to this, you know, this may be happening to help you find what's going on in your emotional body, help you find who you are. It does. And I, I definitely believe it was like a polarity for me to experience the lowest extremes of my life. So then I could really actually endeavor what real joy was. And I feel like I now embody that every day, like real joy. And that's because of that pain and those deep, deep, dark times that having nothing, realizing, wow, like I'm grateful for every single moment now that I have health. And that's because I lost it. And so it's not always, you know, the worst thing that ever happened to you. It actually could be the best thing. Let's spend a little more time talking about that because purpose is something that you discovered through this process, but even more importantly, you learned a lot about yourself, meaning what it is that you have that you can offer to help other people, right? Because you sort of, you were going on this journey with this community of people that were developing around you where you'd have a problem. Somebody would recommend to you, for example, why don't you try to see if you have Lyme disease? And they would give you an opportunity to uh, find a practitioner in another country, in Germany in that case, to get, to get your diagnosis. Then you'd, then you'd interact with the community and there'd be a recommendation that you go to another foreign country to receive treatment, right? And you, and you received your initial Lyme treatment. And so, and so you were going back and forth with the community offering help to you and then you offering help to the community and then the community offering help to you and, the, and you offering help to the community. And you, you became this sort of channel between problems and solutions, so talk about, to us about what it was like for you to learn that you were now a channel, that you were someone who was learning and then you, you were receiving and then giving and how that gift was something you would have never discovered about yourself had you not gone on this journey. Yeah, for sure. That was definitely 
a really incredible awakening moment. And I definitely saw it through this energy healing. And I know it seems a bit woo woo. And I definitely was on that page too. Um, but I did visualize a lot of this stuff and come to a realization that this is my purpose. But what really like struck a chord with me was this particular lady messaging me, telling me that she'd seen one of Klinghart studies who I'd shared and that from that experience, she was able to then, you know, help her partner get better on this journey. And that was one of the best things that ever happened to me to see that. Like, it was like I had the ability to share this and then stop people from going through that same pain. And okay, so let's, let's hold there for a second. Let's talk about now the discovery of purpose and how that now offered you something new, right? Because there were times on this journey after you discovered your purpose where you were getting tired, where you didn't want to do this anymore, where you at times even believed that perhaps you weren't going to get better, but because you had discovered this purpose, because you had discovered how God made you and what you were supposed to be doing, you had to now continue to fight and get through this so that you can continue to be the channel to help other people. So how important was discovering that purpose for you personally on completing your journey? I, I feel like it was everything for me. It definitely was. And I feel like I may have always been searching for it in, in the strangest way. It was, it was everything for me to figure out that I had this ability. And I also want to mention here too, you don't have to have the platform yet. Like just start sharing your voice. Because the more of us that speak about this, the more awareness we bring to this can really impact so many people. And if that friend of mine didn't tell me, if I didn't have this community, you know, where would we be? And I do see from the outside some people who are still suffering from some of these conditions that I was originally misdiagnosed with and they're not able to get better. They haven't got to that root. So I think sharing our voice and figuring out that that's our purpose is a really, really, a really special thing. So now talk to us about where your purpose is taking you, because it initially took you to a place where you were a Reiki practitioner and you were, you were helping your community in a limited way and in a very important way. I don't want to, I don't want to, um, I don't want to discount the importance of the energy element of the healing you're doing, but you discovered that your purpose was greater and that you, that the community was calling you to do something else. So talk to us about how, about how this purpose now developed to an even larger platform. Yes. So I was doing energy healing and I did that for about six months now. Um, and I was doing that kind of on the side, but people were coming to me and being like, look, I really do you book, like, do you do any health courses? And so I decided to then start booking people in for health guidance sessions so that they could get the support they needed because I, I ended up growing big enough that I wasn't able to get back to everyone. And in the beginning, like my original community would know I would spend hours and hours with each individual person, but it became so big that I wasn't able to do that. So it started to call me. I feel like I didn't you know, I wasn't like, I'm going to be this health coach. I know a lot of people that's their journey, but I felt like that, that energy side for me was very important, but the health guidance started to call me in that sense. And then I started to look back at my entire journey and realize that there was also a physical and emotional element to 
this whole thing. And I really wanted to start introducing that to people and make them realize that there's more to this than the kill, kill, kill mentality. I really wanted to strip that back from people's minds and ask them, like, what is your environment like? Where do you live? Firstly, emotionally from an emotional perspective, who's around you? What people are around you? Are you in toxic relationships? Are you still seeking for your mother or your father or for someone to care? Can you stop doing that, like trying to grab that empathy from them and kind of just give it to yourself and teach them to go within from that emotional perspective? But then from the physical perspective, okay, what's on your walls? What's in your ground? What, you know, let's look at EMF, let's look at chemicals, let's set up your um, environment. And then I went even deeper to like start setting up the mindset as well for that too. So, you know, both emotional body and physical body as well. So what, you know, do you remember your childhood? Because this was a huge part of my healing journey as well. I had a lot of repressed memories and that's where the empathy comes from because we're always kind of having the savior role or helping people because of our own pain and I feel like a lot of people in our community are quite empathetic so getting on that trauma and healing the nervous system not only from our past but from what we've we've gone through with Lyme and the denialism and all of the the relationships and everything that we've lost it really affects our nervous system it sets us up for flight or fight so I feel like that's very important from the, the mind perspective. But then when you're looking at the body as well, it's also the physical perspective. Then we can look at, you know, what, what's going on in your detox system. And then it's really important to look at the bacteria, the parasites, the viruses, and all of that, I feel like is the last piece of the puzzle. So yeah, it's a, it really led me on a different journey, but I didn't, I didn't think that that's what I wanted to do. It was truly calling me, like people were asking me to, to, to have, you know, the moment or the time with me and I just couldn't fit everyone in at this point. So, yeah. So let's now bring this podcast full circle, right? We talked about uh, you leaving Australia and moving to Europe. Um, and you've actually shared that on Instagram as well. We've seen that, uh, that portion of your journey uh, portrayed on Instagram. Um, mm -hmm. You weren't able to help people the way you wanted to from Australia, right? You were, there, were some, there were some limitations being placed on you in Australia. And, and in order to be able to pursue your purpose, not only did you have to go from Reiki to a more broad uh, method of, of, of channeling help to people, you had to leave your, the country of your uh, origin. And, and you, you, you ultimately had to, move to uh, Europe. So talk about that portion of the journey. Why were you being restricted where you are and why you were not going to let anything stand in the way of you pursuing uh, your God-given purpose? So, yes, I, I felt restricted in the stance. So I don't think I actually mentioned here, but along this journey as well, I did find some rife and bioresonance. I know we went into everything, but obviously it's a, a six-year period and we're talking about a lot of things. I'm sure there's things that I've missed or that happened. So, um, what I found really interesting is the TGA in Australia doesn't allow us to use Rife machines. And so another part of my journey was using them for some of the co-infections. Sorry to circle back there, but that was a really huge thing for me. I'm like, why can't we use these when they're so, so successful in helping people? And the person who actually sold me this right machine had been in a lot of trouble for using it. So we've, we're not allowed to use them in Australia. And I just started to 
think back on, you know, traveling through Europe and they having all of these clinics and it's all accepted. And I was like, I want that. Like, I don't want my children or anyone I know to have to grow up in somewhere where these things are not allowed. And I'd been restricted and denied from the medical system for so long. I was like, I just want to just truly have somewhere that feels safe. And I think safety is a huge, huge need for people suffering with Lyme because we don't feel safe and so that was kind of missing in Australia every time I'd go to a doctor or hospital it's like what's Lyme and I didn't want to live somewhere like that anymore and it wasn't that I was running away from it it was just that I wanted a better life for my children in the future so yeah I felt like I needed to stand that ground and live somewhere that had the exact same mentality as me and here in Poland they accept Lyme they all know about Lyme they're all educated on Lyme and it's not really denied here so it's beautiful to have that you know I'm, I can speak my truth without being frowned upon which is important of course which is part of the whole detoxing process of of making sure that you're detoxing yourself from social uh, toxins from environmental toxins from any type of toxin that is causing some form of immune disruption is something that you ultimately have to cleanse yourself of so that you can continue to heal. For sure. Yeah. And in your case, to continue to channel healing to third parties, if you're in a place where you have restrictions and you're not going to be able to be as effective in pursuing your purpose. That's right. So if I ever like felt called to, you know, I still have my Rife machine here. If I ever felt called to open a clinic, I'm allowed, you know, it's allowed here and that can happen. And it's, it's not a weird thing to speak about Lyme to everyone here and everyone kind of understands and it's, it's really beautiful. And as much as I want to, and I still will continue to advocate for Australian Lyme and be a part of, you know, all of those different areas in Australia and continue to use my voice for them. I felt like for me, I had to be somewhere where I felt I felt okay to be me as well. And then I had the opportunity to be like, okay, I can open up a clinic here or I can, you know, offer um, some clients to come to my place and use the Rife machine. Like it's allowed. So I think that that was really an important, important area for me to go to. So Bianca, let's widen down our podcast. Now that we've come full circle from, uh, from, discussing the departure from Australia to Europe uh, at the beginning of the podcast, we've now wound down and determined how that beautiful part of your journey took place and why it took place. So now let's, let's, let's speak about one last thing, um, uh, which is a, of course an important part of your purpose, which is helping people not to get infected or reinfected with Lyme disease. So if God forbid somebody that you cared about came walking into the room right after you finished this podcast and they were being bitten by a tick, if they, or somebody who was on the path to remission and possibly could get in, reinfected, or if it's somebody who was not at that point suffering from Lyme, but now had this possibility of suffering from Lyme, what would you recommend that they do so they wouldn't have to suffer an infection or a reinfection? So if starting at if someone was just bitten by a tick, I would yes. suggest at least two weeks of doxycycline straight away. That is a very important in that time frame. However, I, I, I'm not sure if that would completely eradicate it at this point. I'm not sure if that would work, but I would also recommend a very healthy lifestyle. So really making sure you're eating an anti-inflammatory diet, feeding your immune system, set yourself up to be healthy, avoid 
foreign objects in your body. Your body is your temple and it's perfect the way it is. I think that's really, really important to know. Um, I don't want to tell anyone how to live their life, but I feel like, you know, if I was to go back to those days, I wouldn't put that, the, that object in my body and I would just accept myself for who I am. And if, uh, did you ask for someone who had uh, pretend, ha had already been bitten now they're dealing with Lyme? Yes. Yeah. So I would say for you, I would definitely, and this is what I do with my clients, and I am actually doing a course now on all of this. So everything's like set up all together because I don't have time for one-on-ones as such anymore. So I've actually built an entire course, which will be ready probably around February next year with everything and where to start. But I'd say start with your environment. Start with, you know, checking your house and making sure your environment is healthy, checking your relationships and making sure they're healthy. This is a really important place to start and your mindset, you know, stop seeking the, it's, it's, it's nice to have that conversation and have people that care, but if they're not going to be there for you, choose yourself every time because that's the only person that gets you through to the other side. So start there. That's something I, it took me way too long to get to, to realize that the environment and myself really mattered. The mindset really matters. I would then suggest making sure that your detox system is actually working. Every single area of it is actually flowing. And then from there, once all of that is sorted, I would also address like emotional work as well making sure you know you're dealing with all of this stuff like I mentioned the mindset but then I would go to the bacteria the viruses the parasites and the mold last I wouldn't be addressing that I wouldn't be going to the kill 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 mentality I would say rest from you know a softer perspective first because you can't heal in an environment that's not healthy it's just not possible and I feel like my story is definitely evidence of that and I do know everyone's different but I don't think the kill, kill, kill mentality works. It only pushes our immune system from what we're seeing now in a, a more fight and flight state. Bianca, we can't thank you enough for joining the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Bianca Crino. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Ms. Crino, please visit our Instagram page at Bianca's Holistic Way. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, Tick Bootcamp is created to Tick by Blueprint. It has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past guests on this podcast. We are to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view our blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, the members of our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you, as always, for listening.